Hello and welcome back to the Narratives, a podcast where we try to understand what it's like to be a woman in India and how this has an impact on a woman's mental health. We're Shweta and Preeti and we're hosting you at the Narratives today. This month, we've been talking about women and their interactions with the world of crime. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about the rehabilitation of women perpetrators. So what are we waiting for? Let's get right to it. So before we get into today's episode, let's first have a look at what rehabilitation is in the first place. Through our episode last month, we discussed the concept of rehabilitation within the context of mental health illnesses and concerns. However, rehabilitation within the context of criminals and crime focuses on something slightly similar. Rehabilitation enables perpetrators and offenders to reintegrate into the society after they are released from prison. According to Forsberg and Douglas, uh, a paper by them in 2020, rehabilitation can actually be viewed from multiple different perspectives. Uh, so Preeti, can you just uh, give us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, for starters, uh, one of the key purposes of rehabilitation, also probably the most obvious and important purpose, is that it reduces the possibility of recidivism, which is the tendency of an incarcerated person to commit an offense again or to re-offend. So essentially putting people in prisons ensures public safety and ensures reducing harm to the public and the community, right? But apart from this, rehabilitation also helps to reduce and prevent harm in the future by directing training towards individuals of previously committed crimes. That's another important um, goal or overarching purpose of the entire uh, criminal justices. Yeah, exactly. And again, that's just two of the perspectives that, uh, you know, talks about rehabilitation. Another interesting perspective draws on how rehabilitation can be viewed as therapy, an intervention or a service that's provided to individuals who need support and help for their mental health concerns or, well, quote-unquote deficits that could have put them on the path towards crime. Or uh, to put it in other, put it in other words, that would have uh, something that would have actually deprived them of the capacity that's required for criminal responsibility, right? So the same paper that we've quoted before as well. In that paper, they highlighted the perspective. Uh, they also highlighted the perspective of rehabilitation as moral improvement. So um, rehabilitation can be seen as an intervention or a practice that focuses on building the moral commitment of the offender. Lastly, there's also this one perspective of rehabilitation as restoration. And this perspective holds that rehabilitation helps restore an individual's moral and social standing within the community while helping them foster skills and capacities that are required for the same after they re-offend and once they're actually reintegrated into society. Okay, so that was just a very, very tiny slice of the very expansive and diverse research and literature that has been devoted to understanding criminal rehabilitation. I think it gave us a sneak peek into just how complicated and nuanced the very definition of rehabilitation is and why it it requires so much conversation and discourse surrounding it. But what about what happens in the Indian context, which is always a question that we ask at the narratives, right? So considering the diverse set of goals and objectives that rehabilitation is directed towards, there must be substantial practice devoted to just supporting criminals while they reintegrate into society, right? Well, a recent article in the Leaflet from 2021 highlighted some important points, 
while rehabilitation focuses on empowering an individual with the skills to reintegrate into society almost all prison systems in india are restricted to just providing vocational training and education to the incarcerated offenders there are some recent collaborations with external organizations that ensure a certain level of hands on training but we still don't really have the infrastructure or the budget to provide these incarcerated individuals with holistic support be it because of the social stigma that they might face or the psychological and mental health support that they require so that's what that's what the situation is when it comes to the indian context of the criminal justice system now that we've briefly touched upon two primary themes that's basically what rehabilitation means and what the status of rehabilitation is in india i think it's time to ask the important question right why are we talking about it here on the narratives well let's start off with a report by the world health organization according to who chances are that incarcerated women have have had a much larger proportion of early childhood traumatic experiences as compared to incarcerated men women also tend to be mothers or primary caregivers to the individuals in their lives right so this automatically makes rehabilitation not only important for them but also important for those around them women prisoners also ha- often have their own unique needs within the context of both pre- prison systems and the rehabilitation services that they are provided right uh, let's just give a very tiny example here considering their reproductive health and the needs that actually accompany the very regular and normal experiences that come come with womanhood be it pregnancy menstruation or even menopause women often need access to different but very very basic resources right absolutely and today we're here to know about just that Does the Indian criminal justice system cater to the needs of incarcerated women specifically? Is it important to view rehabilitation services differently for women prisoners as compared to their male counterparts? And finally and most importantly, what are some of the unique challenges that women prisoners face and how can we work towards making the system more gender sensitive? And to answer all of these questions, today we are joined by Ms. Vandita Murarka. Ms. Vandita is a human rights lawyer, feminist researcher and rights-based strategy consultant. She is the founder and CEO of One Future Collective, a feminist social purpose organization with a vision of a world built on social justice led by communities of care. One Future Collective develops feminist leadership capacities for social change while supplementing efforts through knowledge co-creation, reimagining advocacy and feminist service provision. Since 2017, One Future Collective has built 7,500 feminist leaders and has indirectly reached 1.2 million people. Ms. Vandita is also a fellow with Acumen, Change.org, Qatar Foundation and Swedish Institute and serves on the board of Civicus. Ms. Vandita holds an LLB from Government Law College, Mumbai and an MA Honours in Public Policy from the University of Mumbai. Most recently, Ms. Vandita completed the Leadership, Organizing and Action Executive Education program at Harvard Kennedy School on a full scholarship. Thanks so much, Ms. Vandita, for joining us on the narratives today. It's really great having you here. Hi, Shweta. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So, um, I think something that we'd like to start up this conversation with is to first understand what are some challenges and concerns that women perpetrators or accused actually face within the Indian prison system. So, can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, definitely. Um, I think there are multiple challenges that 
female prisoners face, right? Um, not even to talk about the fact that people of different gender identities face so much more violence, structural and physical violence within the prison system. When it comes to women perpetrators or accused, to just give you some numbers, there are about 1,350 prisons in India, right? Only 31 are reserved for women. And only 15 states and union territories even have separate women's jails. Everywhere else, female prisoners are housed in smaller enclosures within men's prisons. So they don't even have access to prison facilities for women. Most of the prisons in India are heavily overcrowded and there is a distinct lack of basic facilities, like even access to water is not present. What ends up happening as a consequence, and this is just one of the consequences, right? Incarcerated women end up facing severe hygiene concerns. They don't have access to clean toilets, water, for taking a bath or even washing their clothes. And alongside these living conditions, they face constant threat of physical and sexual violence from prison officials, other inmates. The state of nutrition is very dismal because they rarely get proper meals in a day. While technically women prisoners do have access to medical or health checkups by doctors, very few inmates are actually able to access those facilities. And if they can, they're not treated with any sort of dignity or respect. There are no technical resources to address different concerns. And this makes pregnant female inmates even more vulnerable and at risk. And you know, before um, I pause here, something to definitely highlight is that the prison system in and of itself is structurally violent towards everybody and more so towards women who face multiple layers of oppression. So I think that was pretty uh, like very a very, very holistic answer. I think we started off with understanding how the basic needs that um, women need that in itself is not satisfied right and then we moved into the other specific ones that are very very unique to women can you also tell me a little bit about what role does socio-cultural and socio-economic factors like caste religion and uh, all of that actually play into uh, how does all of this play into the challenges and concerns that women face right thanks for that question I mean if you think about it every small ecosystem is a representative of the larger society we live within right and if you think of prison prison uh, structures as these microcosms or these micro ecosystems they're also representative of the larger challenges that we face as a society in general even factors like caste religion socioeconomic factors like poverty worsens the challenges and concerns that women face in prisons each state in india has its own prison manual that's based on the prisons act of 1894 and these manuals lay out the delegation of tasks and activities with work like cooking and medical care. But a lot of these activities are assigned basis the caste of the inmate. So persons from oppressor caste get activities like cooking and medical care and tasks related to cleaning are generally given to persons from oppressed caste. So that's also how, you know, even within the prison system, multi-layered oppression continues to exist as an extension of our society outside, right? Um, the work that you have to do within the prison, the way you're treated within the prison is not just a function of the fact that you're seen as a criminal, but there's an additional layer of what your identity is and how that plays out. And in states where women-specific rules have not been made, the general manual is followed, right? And it's replicated for women as well, especially continuing the same caste violence. An article on The Wire by Sukanya Shanta showed how caste, religion and poverty worsens the poor conditions of women prisoners. They often have to take up certain tasks to be able to like earn money to get some food items since a lot of their families also can't afford to send their money for their basic necessities internally. Okay, I think that, uh, you know, I mean, every 
thing that you said, I think it really brings to the forefront the importance of taking an intersectional approach when it comes to um, sociological phenomena like uh, prison systems and rehabilitation of incarcerated individuals and so on. And it really, really uh, highlights the importance of looking at how all of these different identities of uh, gender and caste and religion and socioeconomic status, all of those factors come together to determine what the experience of each individual is actually like. So thank you so much for uh, bringing that up. Uh, but moving on from uh, the challenges that uh, women perpetrators and accused face within the Indian prison system to how it impacts their mental health. So can you tell us a little bit about what is the impact of incarceration on the mental health of female perpetrators? Right, that's a super important question. I will preface that by saying that the impact of incarceration on anybody's mental health is abysmal, right? And it does not meet the needs and the outcomes that our justice system aims for. Our justice system's aim is rehabilitation, reform. It's to ensure that people who undertake or perpetrate any sort of crimes get the support they need to ensure that the crimes don't occur again, right? When it comes to women, I will just say in general, right, things are always worse. There's a severe lack of data regarding how the Indian criminal justice system addresses the mental health concerns of women perpetrators through the entire rehabilitation process. There's a 2018 report specifically that mentions how the criminal justice system needs to have a more robust framework for ensuring rehabilitation and reintegration of women perpetrators after release. Options like halfway homes, temporary shelters, etc., so even like the process after you're outside the prison does not support any form of rehabilitation. While you're within the system, while you are um, incarcerated, there's data by the World Health Organization that shows that women prisoners, for example, a trigger warning of suicide and self-harm, they're more likely to harm themselves and die by suicide than male prisoners. Um, and how are these issues even addressed? They're not addressed, right? I'll just expand upon that. Um, the report is called Preventing Suicide, a Resource for Prison Officers. And this goes on to talk about the impact on the prisoner's mental health, right? And the women prisoners that go through this process, they suffer PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. They suffer from depression, from anxiety. Um, they've often faced different forms of violence apart from the fact that they're incarcerated. And within the system, when they're within the system, they have no access to mental health support at all. Their basic living conditions are not met. So to even think about the fact that they will get access to mental health support doesn't happen. And once they're outside of the system, there is absolutely no focus on rehabilitation or reintegration. Or to even think about mental health of these formerly incarcerated persons as a priority. Okay, so you had actually mentioned and quoted this report early on, earlier on, the 2018 report on women in prisons by the Ministry of Women and Child Development by the Government of India. Um, but something else that was mentioned in this report was about how women suffering from mental illnesses are often housed in prisons due to the lack of other appropriate facilities, right? So something that I'd like to understand is why exactly does this phenomenon occur in the first place? For sure, I mean... The very basic answer to that is it occurs because there's no investment in infrastructure for mental health in general. And especially when it comes to women and mental health, there's the history of the mental health of women being ignored or women being called hysterical or not knowing their own minds, right? Um, the reason why it happens in practical terms is that there's just not enough space to 
provide for care for mental health care to them in different homes and even the mentality with mental health in india is so focused on incarceration right it's the idea of imprisoning someone who's facing any sort of mental health concerns that it doesn't take the government much to club people together it doesn't take the government much to say that if you're a woman suffering from mental illness and there is no shelter for you or there is no resource for you we can just house you in a prison which shows you that the way they see different like different aspects of mental health is completely from a lens of imprisonment so that is one um second is just generally there is less infrastructure even for female prisoners um and in general for any like for any women related support services in the country be it a shelter for domestic violence for mental health there just isn't enough support what ends up happening in these shelters is that there's also very minimal medical assistance and while the 2018 report does not elaborate on how or why women facing mental illnesses are housed in prisons there is an assumption that this harsh step is taken because there are no appropriate facilities and this becomes an easy surveillance space uh, which guarantees a certain infrastructure set up right like food will be provided certain things can be provided however this becomes really dangerous because the prison in and of itself is not safe for the female who have been incarcerated to think about if it could even be conducive for someone's mental health is a complete no right it is going to definitely negatively affect their mental health absolutely so i also want to like bring back this conversation that we were having about uh, how it varies when it comes to different aspects like the socio economic background of the individual so do you think this phenomenon actually varies when it comes to urban versus versus rural regions and um, yeah can you just elaborate on that as well so um there's one there's not enough data there's not enough infrastructure um values attitudes etc towards incarceration towards mental health may differ a lot and the reason i'm talking about both is because often in areas where there isn't enough infrastructure clearly we're seeing a pattern of people women with mental health concerns being housed within prisons right um i do think an impact of this could be that these women become further and further away from their families and communities um not just because of other factors but also because of geographical distance that arises when the prison is not in the locality where you live or it's not within travelable distance for you okay all right yeah that makes a lot of sense i think uh, you know access to resources itself is like the one of the areas where um, you know uh, it one of the areas that's like highly skewed but um, something else also that i'd like to understand is like one of the most important questions how do you think we can change the state of affairs right so what kind of changes do you think that um, have to be implemented to actually reduce this whole uh, scenario where uh, women with mental illnesses and concerns are not actually provided the kind of res- uh, resources that they require thank you for that question i'm going to think of this in terms of two um i don't want to think of it in terms of two categories necessarily right i don't want to think of it as incarcerated women separately and then women whose mental health needs are not met and that's why they're in these prisons i will say that the prison structure in and of itself is not conducive to the mental health of women or of any person and as an abolitionist in my opinion what you need is a reimagination of what support um, anyone who's accused of a crime requires and a prison is truly not the answer having said that within the structure in which we live it becomes really important to have medical facilities there are prison doctors right but they don't 
they barely are able to meet physical health needs um there's that report that we've been speaking about which has acknowledged that women's mental health is also needed and it is something that needs attention as many of them may be entering prison with pre-existing psychological and psychosocial conditions right what is ideally required is that for the prison environment to be such that does not create further distress um to have access to adequate nutrition to a comfortable setup within which you can live and alongside that to have a dedicated set of psychologists therapists and psychiatrists that are needed to check up and provide for the mental well-being of the incarcerated women in addition to this we have to think about how can the prison environment become much less hostile and triggering for women and also create learning spaces other opportunities within the prison but i will go back to saying that what needs an overhaul is the entire system the entire prison structure and it needs critical like thinking and reimagination of what else can we do if not a prison yeah definitely that's some n- not some it's a lot of food for thought and uh, it really brings up several questions about the kind of society we live in and the changes that we really really need to implement to improve the state of affairs moving on from that another dimension when it comes to uh, the incarceration of women is maternal imprisonment to delve a little deeper into that can can you tell us a little bit about what kind of resources do indian prisons have for maternal imprisonment thank you for that question i think it's one of the largest conflicts i feel about this process um the indian jail manual states that you need to have a qualified midwife present if the prison matron is not trained in midwifery right if a woman prisoner is pregnant um the authorities of the maternity and child welfare departments they supposed to depute a midwife during the delivery process however again we go back to the question of resources there aren't enough resources so generally like you don't get the sort of medical attention required while while delivering a child after that there is a lack of antenatal care poor social support um a lot of parenting concerns are not addressed at all right like you don't have access to sanitary napkins or to maternity wear so you don't have clothing you don't have basic things required um to be able to support your body biologically um women also face mentally and emotionally distra- distressing circumstances which are not addressed within the prison system at all um there's a study by prayas also i think um in the late 90s which detailed a number of ways in which incarceration of the mother can also negatively affect the child's life and that is not considered at all yeah definitely agree with you there and on a related note uh, there was a study by uh, jao and colleagues in 2021 and it reported that maternal incarceration is linked to several negative outcomes for children including children's incarceration in later life and uh, that's a very um, i think hard hitting uh, finding for uh, any context i mean not just indian but in general so how can prisons and prison staff work to offset these negative impacts on the children of incarcerated mothers what do you think about that um so i will go back to saying that the system can't correct itself when the system is designed to meet certain needs right so when a system is designed to meet certain needs the system is working fine i think our assumptions come from the place that oh the prison system is broken which is why it is leading to these consequences but that's wrong the prison system is not broken this is what the prison system is meant to do and which is why you can't really correct a system that is doing what it is meant to it's serving its purpose right 
to deep dive a little bit into how it affects children, I feel like there's a lot of logical conclusions we can draw here. It's it's fairly obvious that if you're going to separate the child from the mother, there are going to be long-term negative effects on both parties. The child may not do well because of the absence of the maternal figure. Um, so as a consequence of that, women should be allowed to see their children regularly. I think any parent should be allowed to see their children regularly. Um, there should be sensitivity in how the inmate is, any anyone who's incarcerated is supported when in the presence of their child. For children who end up growing up in the prison with their mother, you have to ensure adequate resources are spent for taking care of them as well, right? Especially by the state, the government has a responsibility here. Um, they tend to get, like they tend to grow up in a state of acute deprivation. They don't get like separate meals, they have to share it with their mother. It leads to a lot of undernutrition. They're also not exposed to proper schooling and neither are they allowed a healthy environment. So social skills are not being built. So when I think about, okay, what can the prison system do or what can prison staff do? I think just going away from the mindset that the prison has to be a place of punishment. And can it be, even in the interim, right, till we move to another system perhaps, can it be a place for rehabilitation and regenerative growth in the lives of these people? And to think about that in the context of, can you provide schooling? Can you provide adequate nutrition? Can you provide adequate clothing to the child? So there is a need if you're thinking about, okay, what should prison staff do or what can prisons do? One, the system in itself doesn't work. But if they are to try certain things, provide adequate nutrition, provide clothing, provide schooling access, provide an environment in which a child can grow up uh, without facing violence day on day, right? Okay, and uh, I mean, it's it's honestly really unfortunate that that's what children uh, whose mothers are imprisoned have to go through. But uh, would you say that I mean, this was a this was a phrase that was there in that 2018 uh, government report that we've been talking about about how uh, children are treated. I mean, children of incarcerated mothers are treated as though they are the ones who are incarcerated, right? So. Uh, is there anything you think in specific that can be done to change that aspect of um, care for maternal uh, prisoners? That's an interesting question. I think um, my first thought is that, you know, when, we, when we're asking this question, we're recognizing that the way incarcerated women are treated is unfair and inhuman and not acceptable, which is why we want these children to be treated differently. So to me, the more fundamental question is nobody should be treated this way and what can we do to change that? Um, to answer your question otherwise, I'm not sure how that would work out within a prison system because as soon as a child is within a prison system, how do you not treat them the same way you're treating everybody? Because that's just what the system is allowing for. How do you ensure that the child is able to develop their socio-emotional needs, um, they're able to meet these needs. How do you even ensure that the child does not feel incarcerated, right? Even if you take all of these steps. So I would be at a bit of a loss here. Um, I would say that perhaps the way to support children would be to ensure that conditions in general change so that the environment of the prison is healthier. Um, I don't think though, um, I very strongly disagree with the idea that a prison can be a place for any child to grow up. And perhaps 
if it can even be a place for rehabilitation so i do think my thoughts come from there okay all right so i think we've actually discussed a lot of things when it comes to the prison system and um, in general the criminal justice system as well right something that i'd like to understand now is about rehabilitation and reintegration of women into society so can you please tell me about uh, what you think are the barriers when it comes to successful rehabilitation and reintegration of women perpetrators into society in the indian criminal justice system that's an interesting question i also think it's a really important question for us to think about um i think the first barrier is how we perceive anyone who's ever incarcerated and i think that's where it starts with um but if we had to think about it more practically i think a main barrier is a lack of resources right i think there's data that says that if um uh, if a former formerly incarcerated person was to get out of jail and not get x amount of support within the next 48 or 72 hours they would probably end up either back in jail or end up committing a crime because how else would they support themselves i would strongly recommend a show called the orange is the new black that throws a lot of light on this um even though prisoners are provided some access to education library facilities some professional training women prisoners do not constitute a large part of those inmates they're paid very paltry sums for their labor um while they're in the prison and this makes reintegration difficult because they have no financial resources right so i think one definitely becomes a question of resources financial housing even to think about community and society can they really go back to their people um are their communities accepting of them is there a gender difference in how formerly incarcerated persons are treated and another major problem lies in the fact that there's a very top down condescending approach that has been adopted um when dealing with women prisoners there are there's very little autonomy very little agency if any at all um a lot of the education within prisons is corrective to reform the women and there's not enough time spent on building skills or alternative pathways for these women so then there is no way for them to access resources later as well so just to recap a couple of barriers would be financial infrastructural societal and cultural i would add that a key barrier for me is the fact that this isn't an issue we think about also we don't have any bridge programs we don't have any support structures for female prisoners who get out of jail we don't have those sort of communities that can uplift and support these women and that makes it even more difficult on the other hand as a society or as a community we make it so difficult um would you study in a classroom with someone who's been to jail um if you were a parent would you be okay with your child playing with the child of someone who's formerly incarcerated so a lot of these questions are questions we need to ask ourselves as well okay all right so i think that really threw light on um different dimensions when it comes to the barriers right um now something that i'd like to understand is how do you think the principles of restorative justice can actually be integrated into the existing criminal justice system so can you tell us a little bit about um restorative justice and uh, the applications of the same within the context of the conversation we're having today for sure i think there is a definite need to think of restorative justice and perhaps in the long term even of transformative justice um the very principles of restorative justice is to restore power and control of the narrative back to the survivor as they seek to heal right through a mediated process where the perpetrator learns to take responsibility and accountability and restorative justice emphasizes on reparation of harm 
rather than focusing on punishing the offender so what restorative justice asks of us is to not focus on the perpetrator as a priority but to think about what the survivor's needs may be in that situation right and it doesn't think of the perpetrator and the survivor in this much of a binary it thinks about how can we come together to resolve harm that has been caused restorative justice can be integrated into the existing criminal system um and it can be done in different ways right one of the key ways could be even just the way the law police and judiciary look at harm and justice and if that can be changed that could be a starting pathway for incorporating restorative justice so for example um rather than putting perpetrators into prison and continuing the cycle of harm the indian criminal justice system could actually learn from how new zealand has successfully implemented restorative practices to address harm especially for juvenile justice this allows perpetrators to understand the gravity of their harmful actions and decide how they would want to take accountability for it and make reparations and this involves a bunch of things and one of that is conducting restorative circles which would keep a lot of perpetrators out of prison and not cause additional harm but also allow them to take responsibility for their actions it reimagines justice for the survivor as they feel more empowered um a lot of there's a lot of conference a lot of like academic work happening around restorative justice but the key part is shifting power back to the survivor and ensuring that they have the chance to be heard and address unresolved issues it doesn't end with just the victim or the survivor narrating their side but it also offers support to the perpetrator to understand the impact of their harmful behavior so what a restorative process is doing is that it is ending cycles of harm it is ensuring that these cycles are not repeated for it to be integrated in legal system there are multiple changes that need to happen starting with the very attitude and mindset we take towards criminal justice indian prisons were made with the aim of acting as a correctional office um, but they often become centers of detention and specific needs of women prisoners are not acknowledged or even addressed um a lot of these women prisoners are in prison because they've had to commit an act of violence as self defense or as partners or wives of male prisoners are accused for example in the case of sintoya brown a 15 year old girl who was imprisoned for 51 years for shooting her her attacker out of self defense in the us it stands out as a stand out example of how female survivors often end up in the institution because the law was not sensitive enough to deal with them so to recap a bit of what i think the indian criminal justice system can do is rehaul the laws that don't work because clearly we have laws that penalize women and it creates additional layers of like possible trauma and possible violence towards women second is rethink what justice means for the criminal justice system is it only justice if it happens through legal like a formal courtroom structure or can there be alternative ways to do it third could be to formally start setting up these restorative processes as affiliated to the legal justice system to begin with to provide certain cases to provide certain situations the opportunity to navigate the case through a restorative process allowing for evidence and even a body of work to emerge that builds upon the evidence we already have the restorative justice processes work and in the long term that they mitigate harm i think these would be key things i also think there is a big need for every stakeholder involved in the process right from your judge to your lawyer to the police officer 
to be trained in what feminist justice practices even look like um something as small as like trauma informed support for survivors is missing across the system okay so um considering that throughout this episode very obviously we have been targeting the specific population of women perpetrators i think i i really want to know about like how the indian prison system in specific how can it be ma- made more gender sensitive so can you like tell us a little bit about that as well thank you for the question i think um we have to start by understanding that prisons can't exist as they are and meet the indiv- meet any individual's needs there are only limited reforms that can happen because they're automatically restricted in scope um even from the lens of being gender sensitive or otherwise because these can't happen by the very abolition of prisons and the ideology behind them in the first place some reforms that can be made would you know include maybe more privacy for women cure trans gender non conforming and non binary individuals um uh, more washrooms that are also gender affirming just more access to sanitation and hygiene increase medical facilities for people who menstruate um including sanitary product access regular non invasive and voluntary medical checkups right not just for pregnant inmates but for other inmates as well uh what about the families of incarcerated women um i think we think about men as sole breadwinners so much that we forget that in many many cases these women are the sole earning members of their family can financial support be provided to them um can we think about halfway homes um some sort of temporary shelters to facilitate social reintegration and rehabilitation after release to ensure that perhaps these women are not forced back into the prison system and that's also being gender sensitive because you have to create shelter that affirms the needs of different genders and that ensures it is a safe space right that there isn't sexual violence there isn't gendered violence in these spaces a big thing that i mentioned earlier would definitely be training um for everybody across the system from your prison guards to anyone in the police system to your judiciary and not just training because training only goes so far but actual methods to check that what they're being trained in is being implemented and disincentivizing them to undertake any practice that could cause any sort of further harm to persons who are already incarcerated and in a more radical reimagining of justice many prison abolitionists a lot of them based out of the us also advocate for a transformative justice system where prisons are substituted with community based organizations right and in these organizations the community comes together takes accountability for the harm done recognizes the reasons behind it and then works to repair this harm our belief uh, both mine and my organizations is that it is the abolition of prisons that would serve the needs that we're thinking about uh, because it helps both or multiple parties find true justice and for perpetrators to take actual accountability of their actions okay that was uh, i mean i really hope that those are steps that we can actually implement to make uh, the existing system better uh but i also wanted to ask about uh, what are listeners or the general public uh is there anything that you think that we can do to improve the state of uh the criminal justice system in india that's such a loaded question and i never have um an easy answer i think for us especially for those of us with the privilege to be have to be able to have these conversations in an intellectualized form 
I think some of the key things we can do it is to recognize the factors that go behind someone perpetrating a crime, right? And addressing those. Um, whenever anyone asks me, what is the response to not having prisons? How do we prevent violence? How do we prevent harm? There are simple things. Pay your workers well. Um, ensure people can afford housing. Ensure that if I'm a survivor, I don't have to live in an abusive home because I can't afford to leave that house. Ensure medical access. Ensure... Ensure that I have access to insurance. Ensuring that I have mental, like emotional, physical, financial safety is a way to ensure that crimes reduce in general. And that is something that especially those of us with privilege can do. And anyone listening in can start taking steps to ensure that the spaces they exist within are just. Something else we can do is to start having conversations on a bunch of things, right? On what reform is required, um, what are gendered norms that play out and what, how they could possibly lead to incarceration. And I think something really small perhaps and very actionable for anyone listening in is try and get bail for a lot of the under trial prisoners that are just in prison because they can't afford bail. That's it. That's the reason. That's a big percentage of a lot of the people who are in jails. You can fund bail applications if you're a lawyer or a law student. Write bail applications for these um, under trials. You will be ensuring that people have the right to safety, freedom and justice by doing a small act. If I may make a last point, I would just say that prisons can't be feminist. There is no reform of the prison system that can be feminist because it recreates the same violence and the same fear. Um, this is also something that Mariama Kaba, a well-known prison abolitionist, says, right? And it's important for us to reimagine and think of futures where a prison is not needed. Yeah, that's definitely uh, things that uh, I hope our listeners, you know, do take away from uh, this conversation. And I definitely will. And uh, that brings us to the end of our conversation today. Uh, once again, thank you so much, Ms. Vandita, for taking your time out to be on the narratives. This conversation really gave us a lot to think about and a lot to reflect about. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so for this time's research snapshot, we have a study that was conducted by Mark and Chan in Hong Kong entitled Effects of Cognitive Behavioral Therapy and Positive Psychological Intervention on Female Offenders with Psychological Distress in Hong Kong. And it was published in the journal Criminal Behavior and Mental Health in April 2018. And this is a really interesting uh, study, I think, and it gives us a lot to take away and think about uh, how we can apply the findings of this study in our Indian context. So here goes the study. Uh, so in 2011, given the psychological needs of female offenders that was identified in the Hong Kong prison system, the Hong Kong Correctional Services set up an institutional-based personal growth and emotional treatment center called Gym to provide gender-specific psychological services for women offenders. That's, I mean, that, that's such a great initiative, isn't it? So, this center provides treatments that are based on cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT, and positive psychological interventions, or PPIs. Uh, that's how it's abbreviated. 
and it turns out that the sai gym is the first facility in asia to pioneer an integrated approach of cbt and ppi for female offenders uh, so the intervention that the researchers actually provided to these women consisted of 16 sessions so the first eight sessions were cbt and then the next eight sessions were ppi and it was provided over a course of 2 to 3 months the cognitive behavioral therapy portion of the intervention uh, focused on i mean pretty typical cbt uh, sort of things actually such as the identification of one's dysfunctional thinking patterns and the ppi or the positive psychological intervention portion focused on mindfulness hope gratitude and strengths if you think about it that's honestly a very very uh, uniquely constructed um, intervention uh, module i think anyway so each week the participants attended two half days of group therapy sessions so that was the intervention design and how it was provided to uh, these women so the participants of the study were divided into two groups this is a little uh, it's a bit of a mouthful but pay attention and the rest of it will make sense i promise you so the study uh, the participants of the study were divided into two groups all right the first group or the treatment group consisted of 40 female offenders who underwent treatment at the sai gym between 2014 and 2015 and the other group which was the waiting list group consisted of 35 female offenders who were on the waiting list to be recruited for treatment and received supportive counseling two to four times a month and the supportive counseling did not include components of cbt or components of ppi so so far we have this intervention which includes cognitive behavioral therapy and a components of uh, positive psychological interventions and you have two groups of participants 40 of them who are actually receiving uh, this intervention treatment and the other 35 who are waiting for treatment so they are not actually receiving the treatment at this point of time when the study is being conducted okay so i hope we're all on the same page here but moving forward at the outset of the intervention the treatment participants were randomly assigned to one of the two groups so now i'm talking about the treatment group that's the 40 women who were uh, meant to receive the treatment right so out of these 40 women the two groups two subgroups were made and in one of the groups women first received eight sessions of cbt followed by eight sessions of ppi and in the other group they first received eight sessions of ppi followed by eight sessions of cbt essentially the only thing that was different between these two subgroups of the overall treatment group was the order in which they received the interventions one of them received the cbt first and the other received the ppi first so a large battery of assessments was provided to the participants to measure various dimensions and metrics including the level of psychological distress cognitive content associated with the depressed mood cognitive content associated with anxiety changes experienced following adversity gratitude hope and satisfaction with life the measurements were taken at three points of time the first measurement was taken before the intervention started the second a measurement was taken at a midway point between the two interventions that is after the first eight sessions and the third measurement was taken after the entire intervention was completed so we have three measurements that are being taken in this study and the results showed that the women who received the psychological interventions 
fared much, much better than those on the waiting list. The participants in the study suffered from psychological distress of medium to high intensity and all of them experienced benefits due to the intervention. Combining the CBT and PPI treatments had the advantage of enhancing life satisfaction, hopeful style of thinking, self-perceived strengths and positive cogn cognition in the context of depression. And all of these were, uh, were shown to be better than either intervention could do independently. So what that essentially means is that combining CBT and PPI together was more advantageous than providing either, an, uh, either a CBT only intervention or a PPI only intervention. And yeah, so that was the study. Yeah, Shweta, what do you think about it? Okay, I absolutely loved like just like knowing about what the methodology of the study itself was. I think the authors like really targeted different different areas and uh, you know addressed this whole concept of uh, rehabilitation so um, holistically. So yeah, I think um, one of the biggest things that I mean something that you started with as well was uh, how we can actually adapt this into the Indian context, right? And considering that even in the introduction we discussed how we barely have uh, you know mental health uh, access to mental health support within the context of rehabilitation in India. So I think this is something we can definitely first like um, you know actually conduct rigorous research on when it comes to the Indian context, and we can actually apply something like this. And I absolutely love how they didn't restrict themselves to just one line of or one school of therapy and they actually focused on, on even positive psychological interventions I think that's very very important to in, in order to build things like resilience and hope once individuals are reintegrated to society as well right but something that I'm really um, interested to know about is also considering that we do know that uh, the, uh, like these interventions actually resulted in um, better outcomes for these women I'm really interested to know like what the long-term uh, effects of the study would be like um, you know by conducting like a follow-up like a six-month or one-year follow-up on these individuals in order to understand how um, lasting the benefits that they uh, got from these uh, interventions were and I'm also really interested to know how these results actually impact future offenses right and the chances of reincarceration for these women because I think that's something that we, um, you know, discussed at the beginning as well. Uh, the chance of uh, people, uh, incarcerated individuals, to actually reoffend, and I'm really interested to know whether uh, these interventions and these therapeutic services actually contributed towards prevention of re uh, of recidivism and all of that. So yeah, I guess this was a really, really holistic study, and though it was very, very, um, you know, like it covered a lot of areas, there's still a lot of scope for us to understand within the uh, application of psychological therapy within rehabilitation. Yeah, definitely. And honestly, I really, really, you know, appreciate the concept of the Sai Gym itself. The fact that they have uh, a center to provide psychological services that are gender sensitive i think that's a that's a really really um, you know appreciable move and i i would love to see how we can adapt that to the indian context and another thing that i really appreciated in the study was that it focused on women offenders and this the study itself you know uh, when i was reading the paper the authors acknowledged that these kind of studies are usually conducted for males and they also recognize that female offenders are a vulnerable group for psychological distress due to you know the high rates of uh, history of uh, abuse and so on and uh, i think that just goes on to really really show that we need to have more 
studies along these lines for female offenders and just really highlights how important it is to make uh, services such as uh, prison rehabilitation more gender sensitive. So yeah, that was the research snapshot. Okay, wow, that was one loaded episode, wasn't it? I mentioned this earlier as well, but I feel like this episode has given me so many things to really go back and think about and introspect about and sit down with. Uh, but uh, out of everything that I learned in today's episode, I think uh, one of my key takeaways is definitely about how a lot of issues with the current criminal justice system would be solved with an increased access to resources and better infrastructure. And um, I think it's really important to drive home the fact that we really do, do need systemic changes to improve, you know, access to resources and to build better infrastructure so that all of these sociological issues can be uh, resolved or at least improved. And another thing that I found really uh, insightful from today's episode was the importance of taking an intersectional approach to understanding a phenomenon like the incarceration of female prisoners, right? So um, I think it's really, really important that we, when we look at something as complex as the incarceration of women, we really need to look at the, the factors that come in the context in which these women are embedded, that is, uh, you know, are they from a rural or an urban region? Are they, what's their socioeconomic status? What is their gender identity? And uh, what is their caste, which is so important in the Indian context? So how do all of these things come together to determine an individual's experience is something that's really, really important. And I think it was really highlighted through the course of today's episode. So those were my key takeaways. Uh, what was it for you, Shweta? Yeah, so I think something that I really liked was our conversation on restorative justice and transformative justice, right? For me personally, I feel like we've had this conversation about restorative justice before and I absolutely love that we brought that into, um, you know, the concept of the Indian criminal justice system and how it can help with women perpetrators and all of that. Something that was really new to me was transformative justice. It really got me like just like, you know, like Googling right away to like understand what it was. And I absolutely love how, um, you know, we discussed it uh, within the context of the criminal justice system and how it can help with rehabilitation and all of that so yeah I think uh, that was one of my uh, key takeaways uh, within the entire episode and something that will definitely get me to research on a lot more so yeah and with that we wrap up this episode of the narratives please do take note that all the research studies and other sources cited in today's episode including the research study that we mentioned in today's research snapshot, can be found in the show notes below. While we hit the books to prep for the next episode, you can make sure to stay tuned to All Things Matra by following us on all our social media, the links to which you'll find in the description. We'll see you next time. The Narratives is brought to you by Matra, an initiative launched under the Fortis Young Mental Health Advocacy Program by Fortis Mental Health.